before I read our main passage this morning, I, I just would add, if, if you're in need of prayer, if there's something on your heart this morning, we, at the end of the service, we, we have a prayer team that, that's up in this corner and is willing to pray with anyone that, uh, you know, pray for you specifically. So we want to invite you forward for that. But now we turn to the word. And our passage this morning is, there's really two. First, from Mark chapter 9. And I will just say, as context, this comes right after the, the, the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountaintop. So, beginning in verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Then from Malachi chapter 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is God's word for us this morning. So I know a few weeks back, my last sermon, Elijah the prophet had been swooped up to heaven and maybe you thought, oh, finally we're done with this sermon series about Elijah. Well, think again. They kept talking about him. And uh, so we're not quite done with Elijah yet. We have one more after this even. Because um, today I want to look at what does, did Jesus say about Elijah and what does all that mean that we just read? And I will kind of give you the point I want to make right up front so that there's no confusion. Elijah was the, the prototype of, of the prophet of the Lord. He's the, kind of the, the, the picture of a prophet. And, and he comes to represent the role of a prophet. And so, you know, we looked at the life and story of Elijah. Now we're going to see sort of how Elijah becomes almost a representative figure for this, this role of speaking as a prophet. And this happens in this conversation that Jesus and his disciples, they're talking about Elijah as they hike down a mountain. And I, I'm convinced that some great conversations happen while, while hiking. In fact, I'm more convinced than ever. We, 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 if you notice, we were gone a couple weeks. We were out west, and we did some hiking. We, we, I'll just want to mention two. One is we went to the Rocky Mountains, and we hiked up to Emerald Lake and this beautiful mountain lake. And I love the Adirondacks, the, but the Rocky Mountains are like a different character. And you have these, these mountain lakes that are high up in elevation themselves. And so that was, that was one of the neatest things we saw. Um, and then the second hike we did was, was even cooler, um, literally. It was in what's called the Narrows in Zion Canyon, Utah. And you're going through a very narrow canyon, and ultimately you have to hike through the creek bed. 
And so you got to watch out for flash flooding because else, like, if a storm hits, you could literally be washed away, and they're always giving you warnings about that. But most of the hike, you're trudging over these, these river stones. And, and so despite being 100 degrees plus, you know, it was actually rather cool, and it felt, it, and it was by far the neatest hike because it's super narrow and cliff falls up both sides. But I share this just because our family, as we hiked, had these, a lot of different conversations because we, we traveled to all these different parks and um, my kids maybe got a little tired of hiking by the end. Um, but, but nevertheless, we got to talk about life and upcoming decisions. We got to hear about stories from college, the college year and other things. And we talked about family we even got in a few religious debates as we hiked along these areas. So it, it just, I think there's something that opens the door as you're walking along, you know, on this, you're able to talk about things and maybe even ask questions you wouldn't normally think to ask in normal life. On the mountain, Jesus and his disciples have this very interesting conversation. Now the context is they saw something far more incredible than what we saw even on our trip when they got to the mountaintop. So, so on the mountain, they saw three things. And the, the, the gist of it is, is Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that he is going to be crucified and suffer. And that's how the kingdom is coming. And they are not getting it. And he, he says to them, some of you are, are not going to face death before the kingdom of God comes with power, you're going to see it. And, and to convince them, then he gives them a quick foretaste of it. So he takes just three of them, Peter, James, and John. They hike up a mountain, and on top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured before them. Here is the humble son of God who lived a fully human life, but in reality, he was the son of God, the, the, the glorious one. And they see that glory. He's transfigured before them so they could see what he's really like. And in addition, then, he see, they see two people with him, two of the greatest figures of the, the Old Testament, of the, the history of Israel, Moses and Elijah. And Jesus, in his glorified state, is just talking to him. I, whenever I think of this passage, I think about the, the Star Trek episode where they're on some planet and somehow Abraham Lincoln is added to uh, Captain Kirk and Spock and they get to fight with this, uh, they fight the enemy with Abraham Lincoln fighting along beside them. So that's sort of the equivalent of Moses and Elijah for, for these guys. And they're, they're talking with Jesus and then it ends with being enveloped by a cloud. So the the disciples can see nothing, but they hear the voice of God. And the God says, this is my son. Listen to him. This is my son. Listen to him. It's, it's echoing what Jesus had tried to say. I, I'm going to come. They're going to put me to death. The son of man must suffer these things. That's the only way to bring the kingdom. And, and so God, the father is pointing in that same direction. So so what, why has this happened? One, it's for the disciples. They're being prepared they're, so that they're ready to follow Jesus to the cross, Christ to the cross, and have confidence 
that, that what they're betting their life on is, is real. Um, a second aspect, I think, of why he's doing this is it's highlighting the fact that Moses and Elijah were very important figures, but they did, could not see or bring the fulfillment of the kingdom. In fact, both Moses and Elijah at their end, they didn't see the fulfillment in their day. It says Moses did not get to go into the promised land, but could only see it from afar. And in Elijah's day, they were still fighting over whether the people would, would worship Baal or worship Yahweh. So they were left short. And I think maybe God brought them back to this situation for the sake of Moses and Elijah and saying, hey guys, this is, this is it. This now, you know, these disciples and this is the point of all the work that you did. It was all leading to this, the coming of the Christ. There's a third reason. And it comes down to what Moses and Elijah both represent. I want to say that for the end of the message. But I think there's, there's something saying in a symbolic way in those specific men being brought forward. Because uh, Moses would have been 1200 BC. Elijah would have been 850 BC. And so these many years later that they make this appearance, God's saying something with that. But having seen that, when it's all over, they start walking down. And this is then where our text gets to, and they have this conversation. And it begins simply with Jesus saying, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. How hard would that be? I'm like, okay, you just see the most amazing thing in your life. You can't tell anyone. You uh, no, don't tell them yet, you know. Like, that would be so hard. I would, I would, they, you got to think they want to tell the other disciples. They want to talk to... This is, nope, you have to wait. You got to wait until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. The transfiguration is just a little sneak peek, a preview of what is to come. And, and, and until the cross had happened and Jesus submits himself to death, and then rises again from the dead, the kingdom is not yet ready. So, so hold on to this. Remember it. When the time is right, then you can, you can tell about it. Um, I think this is also kind of talking about the risen from the dead part. See, Moses and Elijah's appearance is proof that God is sovereign over death. I mean, these guys had died hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but th they weren't gone. They had been alive with God all that time. And, and so Jesus is kind of communicating to his disciples, like just as they were alive, my death is not going to be the end of what God is doing. Right? Um, here's something interesting. It's almost a side note, but I think it still plays a part, is, is that the Moses and Elijah, the way they ended their days both make sense that they were the ones who were appeared here. So we, we looked at Elijah um, a few weeks back, right? Remember how he, he ended up? Did he die? Well, not, not quite. It says a, a chariot, a fire swooped down and a whirlwind took him up into heaven. So in a sense, God took him up straight up without, without him dying first. So he was not dead. He was alive with God waiting in the throne room. Likewise, um, Moses 
Now, the Bible does say Moses died, but he died alone. He was with God alone and no other people around. And they, they never had a burial place that God himself took care of the burial. Could it be God also just swooped Moses up, said, hey, come up, wait up here for a couple hundred years and, you know, until we can see what's, how this is going to play out. So I, I think both of his servants were, were taken up. They, they, did, they did not remain in the grave is the point. And, and what this is saying is death will not stop the plans of God. The kingdom of God is coming and it will be glorious. Keep believing. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, keep believing. Even when you see me bruised, whipped, spat upon, hung on a cross, keep believing. Death will not stop what God is doing. They are still trying to wrap their head around this. What does rising from the dead mean? You know, for us, we've, we've heard the story, right? We've had Easter morning how many times where we know it. But I can imagine being like, exactly how is this going to work? And, and so they, they don't quite feel like they can t- talk to Jesus about that. So they, they're talking amongst one another. Like, what does that really mean? But there is one question they feel like they should ask. And so in verse 11... They asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So the scribes were the, those who could read and write, the religious leaders, in effect, those who studied the, the, the written law and the prophets. And so, you know, why do they say Elijah has to come before the Messiah does? You see, now that they've seen Jesus transfigured, glorified, there's no doubt. He's the Messiah. He's the one they had been waiting for. So if he's here, then what about this Elijah thing that they had been talking about? Well, it's a good question. Why do the scribes talk, say that Elijah had to come first? Well, because of Malachi. So if you pull out your Bible, and many of you might know, that it's, there's two parts, right? There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, the New Testament is the part that starts with Jesus. The first book of the New Testament is, is Matthew. He's the first one, or the first one in the, in the Bible uh, that wrote down the story of Jesus. And then before that is what's called the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew chapter 1, and you turn one page backward, if there's maybe two if there's a filler page, but you turn one page backward, you get the prophet Malachi. So it's the last of the prophets recorded in the Bible. And so Malachi, and this is how the, what we would call the Old Testament ends. It ends, it mentions Moses, by the way, in verse four, it says, remember the law of my servant Moses. But then in verse five, it says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So Malachi is saying, before this thing that's going to happen, this day of the Lord, Elijah will precede it. And um, so Malachi envisioned a day coming when God himself would show up and deal with all the evil and injustice and junk in the world. It would be a day... Of, of a great and awesome day of the Lord. And before God did that, though, he would send his prophet. 
once again, Elijah would come and give people a chance and give warning. Hey, and to turn your hearts back to what is, what is true and right. Turn hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. So Elijah would, would come to do the prep work because people would lose sight of the things of God and focus on the wrong things and their hearts needed to be retuned to the right thing before the Lord would come. I suspect Malachi was picturing something like a final judgment, some great and awesome day of the Lord with divine power and judgment. So that was in Malachi. Um, So that's why the scribe said Elijah has to come first. So what would Jesus say? Well, he affirms the teaching. He he affirms what the scribe says. He says, Elijah does come first to restore all things. So yes, they're right. It says, but then this, this is key. It says, and how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So Elijah comes first, but what does he come before? He comes before the Son of Man would suffer many things and be treated with contempt. See, he's, he's pointing to a truth. The day of the Lord they were looking for was truly great and awesome, but it was not what they were expecting. It was not the, this day of God pouring out his judgment upon people. Instead, the Son of Man would, would bear the judgment of God himself. The, 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 the Holy Son of God would, would allow, God would allow him to bear the wrath and the anger, the injustice, the sins of the entire world would fall upon him. That was the plan. That was the great and awesome day of the Lord when God poured out his wrath, not on people, not on us, but on his own son as a way to bring salvation to all mankind. Christ would die for us. So he says, Elijah does come first. Yeah. And then the son of man must, because the son of man must suffer all these things. And then he adds another part. But I tell you that Elijah has come. The plan is already in motion, right? This is is not hypothetical now, guys. This is already happening. Elijah has already come. And in fact, they did to him whatever they they pleased, as it is written of him. Now, we might hear that and say, what? What's he talking about? But the, the disciples knew exactly what he meant. Mark did not need to spell it out in his gospel because the disciples knew right away who he was talking about. It was someone they knew, a friend that they knew. And in Mark, Math, the, the gospel of Matthew, he does spell it out. It says, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. In other words, John the Baptist was the Elijah um, that was referred to. So, is John the Baptist the same as Elijah? Are they the same person? I want to think about the parallels between them. And there are numerous parallels between the two men. Two men. Um, this is kind of, kind of broadly taking stuff in the Bible that if you don't know, um, if you're new to it, you may not know it all, but if 
but you can kind of learn and see. Um, Elijah, is in, you know, the story of him is in the first Kings. We've been talking about him. J- the story of John the Baptist is in all the different Gospels. But what, what's the same about both men? Both lived in the desert, the desert wilderness, and kind of were lived among the animals. It says John uh, had animal skins for clothes. He, he ate locusts and honey. We remember that Elijah was fed by the ravens. You know, they both kind of lived in these lonely places in the outdoors. Both men were connected to the Jordan River. Um, for John, that's where he did his baptizing. For Elijah, we, you might remember how they crossed the Jordan and used his cloak to, to spread the water so that he could cross safely. Both men had a message calling for repentance and warning of judgment. Elijah saying, you, you can't keep worshiping Baal. You, you have to worship the Lord alone. God is not happy that you're building these temples for Baal. For John the Baptist, he, had, he, he said his message was simply repent, get right before the Lord comes. Um, another parallel is both men lived at odds with the king. Um, we talked a lot, of course, how, how Elijah um, and Ahab, Ahab was not happy with Elijah. For John the Baptist, it was Herod. And Herod, uh, um, Herod had uh, married his, his brother's wife. She got divorced and married Herod. And John had spoken against that and said that's not the way it's supposed to be for the one who says he's the king of the Jews. So, so John was at odds with Herod. Um, both both men were in danger of their life. In fact, John the Baptist was beheaded. Elijah was, was, could have been beheaded if, if Jezebel would have caught a hold of him. Both men had special problems with the queen. With Elijah, it was Jezebel. And with, with uh, John the Baptist, it was criticizing Herod's wife. Both times they had that, that issue. So there's all these parallels, and I'm sure there's more that we can we can do with this, where it seems like, yeah, they're, they're very similar in what they did and, and how they did it. Um, of course, they're separated by 850 years. Um, but we have a problem because there's conflicting statements in the Bible. So if we go to John chapter 1, John the Baptist was asked, um, you know, by the, it says the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So I'm not the Messiah. Well, then, well, then they ask him, well, then, are you Elijah? Who is supposed to come before the Messiah? And he says, I am not. So he's not Elijah. Um, but in Matthew eleven fourteen, Jesus says of John the Baptist, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Uh-oh. We have two different things in the Bible. Hmm. Well, don't, don't worry. The, these are easily resolvable. Um, but Jesus said he was. John says he's no. Here, here's the thing. First of all, John the Baptist was not the reincarnation of Elijah. John is and was his own person. God does not do reincarnation. That is a different religion. Um, we are each our own person. We each have our own unique soul to who we are. So in that sense, John was not Elijah. 
Luke 1 kind of gives us the key to understanding what this is about. It says of John the Baptist when he was born, and it says, and he will go before him, before the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In other words, Luke's saying he will have the same spirit and power as Elijah. He will have the same type of ministry, that of turning hearts of fathers back to what is, back to their children, back to the Lord. He will come in the same spirit, both the spirit of God and, and the power upon him, but even also the spirit of their general personality. When I looked at all those parallels, how, how John and Elijah had that same aspect of kind of being a loner, being outside, being away from others, being in being in conflict with the people of their time. Um, and they both would have the same power, both John and Elijah, to stand alone against the powers of their day. That would be the, the very thing that they're very alike on. So in Elijah's day, people thought they were fine, right? They thought it was no big deal to worship the Lord Yahweh and also to worship Baal because that's what the other nations did. And Elijah came and declared, God will not accept that. You are his people and you are to worship no other gods. John the Baptist came and the people thought they were fine because they were keeping up the outward appearance of religion. They weren't worshiping other gods. They learned that part. But he came and warned them that they had chosen different kinds of idols in their lives like greed and money and power. They thought they... They thought they were fine, but they were not okay. They needed to get right with God. He warned them that they had a heart problem. And so John came and gave warning from God that the people need to return to the Lord. So what to draw from this? My, my original point. Elijah was the prototype of a prophet of the Lord. John the Baptist was kind of the final prophet of the Lord in the Bible. He was, he was the last of his time in that sense. Um, and Elijah represents what a prophet is. You say, if you say, well, what is a prophet? Well, look at Elijah. He will give you a picture of this, this type of, of role of speaking God's word. In our day, when you hear the word prophet, what do you think of? Someone who tells the the future, right? You know, if you, you get a prophet, it usually means like some a, a foreteller, um, all that kind of stuff. That's not the essence of what a prophet is in the Bible. A prophet in the Bible speaks God's message to the people about their behavior or their their doings. A prophet speaks God's word for a specific situation or speaks against a, sin, a specific sinful behavior. Therefore, the prophet is often in the role of condemning injustice or condemning um, false worship or sinful behavior of the people or its leaders. A prophet would often then speak judgment. Change your ways or God is going to deal with this. Be ready. Judgment is coming. The prophet then might foretell circumstances, consequences, and destruction that's headed their way. That's how they get the reputation of speaking about the future. 
because that sometimes got incorporated in the message. But the core of the message is giving warning from God, pointing out where people are straying from God's truth. All right, I hope I'm not going to confuse you, but I want to go back to the mountain. Who appeared on the mountain? Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law. It was through Moses that God gave the original law. Um, But I'm, I'm even thinking more generally, Elijah represents the prophets. When Jesus would talk about the scriptures, the Old Testament to that point, he would say, all the law and the prophets. So when you have Moses and Elijah together, they are representing God's message up to the point of Jesus, right? It, they represent the, the Old Testament scriptures. Um, so in Moses, God te- through the law, God teaches about the right way to live as God's people. He teaches about God and understanding him. So through the law, we learn truths. We are taught and instructed. The law teaches and instructions. Moses was an insider. Right? He taught with authority. Elijah, he stands outside the, the power structure. He was the loner, and he would speak words of rebuke and correction. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You put those all together, the law teaches and trains. It teaches us about God and trains us to live for God. The prophets rebuke and correct. They, they, they show us where they're going, we're going in the wrong direction and need to be brought back. Both are aspects of God's holy written word. The written word of the Bible and also the word spoken into our lives at the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God's word will come to us and something we need to know and understand, teaches and trains, sometimes God's word will come to us with a rebuke. You are not living the holy life you're called to live. The law and the prophets, though, and here's, here's the key on the mountain, the law and the prophets are insufficient of themselves to get us back to God. The law can tell us what we ought to do. But there's a brokenness inside. And no matter how much we try to get our life in line with God's laws in order, we fail. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, when I want to do good, evil is right there beside me. The law is insufficient. The prophets, the word of the prophets, the rebuke can can give us a word of, of correction and rebuke when we fall short, but it leaves us under the judgment of God with no hope of escape. This is why they could not lead us back to God. They could not lead, they could not bring the kingdom in. And so on the mountain, you have Moses and Elijah, but you have one more. You have the son. Now the one, the word who had become flesh and dwelt in our midst So what does Jesus represent? The gospel. The good news of God's grace and mercy. The kingdom of God would come with power, 
when the Son of God would bear upon his shoulders the judgment of God that we deserved and set us free to actually live out the ways of God, to love God. That's what, um, that's what God was saying when he said, this is my son. Listen to him. The word of the Father, the law and the prophets will both yield to the, the word of God made flesh, Jesus the Savior. This is my son. Listen to him. So now as Christians, we do not ignore the law or the prophets. We, we remember them. We, we study them. We understand. The law still instructs us and, and we gain wisdom. But we remember we are not under the law. We are in Christ. The, the, the word of the prophet tells us of a coming judgment and condemnation for those who, who reject God. And we know that that's true. But the word of the prophet, the word of correction, yields to the grace of Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel trumps the, 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 the law and the prophets and sets us free to live by his grace. So, can I get practical for just a few minutes? Um, that's sort of the theoretical stuff. How does this fit? Um, and the question I was thinking about, when should we, or when should I, follow the example of Elijah? And Elijah, like as a pro the prophets live separate from the people, right? He lived alone in lonely places. But as pastor, I live nearby. I live in sight of, in the midst of a congregation. Um, so that, that it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not separate from you all. I'm one of you in many ways, in that sense. A prophet generally yells, you are doing it wrong, right? That, that was, that was both John and Elijah. They're always yelling about how people are doing it wrong. As pastor, I, I, I may need to do that occasionally, but generally I want to seek to build up and encourage to, to, to build up the body of Christ, help them grow in, in knowledge and love and grace. Prophet communicates God is not happy. The ax is at the root of the trees. As pastor, I, my hope is that you would catch the grace of Jesus Christ. Because I know we all show up on Sunday mornings as sinful people who need God's grace. You, you probably know where you've done wrong. You probably know where you've fallen short. You probably know in the ways that you've disappointed God and not lived up to, to God's word. I want you to come in and hear a word of grace that despite how, how, how much we've struggled, how, how at times we've wrestled with this, God is good and he is faithful to us even when we, we fail to live up to him. That's, that's a preacher of the gospel. Um, in my work, I know there's times when I, I am in the role of teacher, you know, the law. I'm also in the role of prophet, of speaking truth, truth that may make people uncomfortable, truth that, that may challenge us. Um, but first and foremost, I am a preacher of the gospel, proclaiming Jesus Christ first and foremost. When you hear a word, whether it's in a sermon or just your own reading or study, when you hear a word that challenges you, that rebukes you, that corrects you, 
that makes you uncomfortable, the temptation will be to get angry and reject it off, offhand. Can I ask you to stop before you reject it offhand and just consider the possibility, is God speaking this word to you? Is God, is God bringing an Elijah moment into your life? Is God speaking that to you? Sometimes we need that aspect of prophecy that brings correction. Um, sometimes it's a, a God's word that comes upon our culture, showing where the society we live in runs counter to the ways of God's kingdom, that we don't do it that way. Sometimes it's God's word upon a church, this church, where it, it, the God's word will point out where we're falling short of living up to God's thing in, the way, in our ways and how we treat one another. James 2 is like this. If you read James, he, he's saying, um, you know, you're, you're treating people wrong. You know, if a poor person comes, you put them in the back corner. If someone rich comes, you, you show them to the front. That's not how it should be. That's an example of a word of prophecy that might be for the church. But sometimes God's word comes for you as an individual, for each of us when we need correction in our lives. The good news in all of this, what we can hear from Elijah is God does not stop pursuing his people. He keeps bringing that message to us. He keeps pursuing us. Ultimately, he sent his son that he's so determined that we would be with him in the eternal king kingdom that he's going to do the work of sending a son to bring us back into that relationship that we could be with him forever. That's good news. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that even when we need rebuked and corrected, that you do it in light of your son, Jesus Christ, so that in the midst of correction, we receive grace and we receive new strength and we receive forgiveness so that we can in turn forgive others. Father, I pray that, that we would hear your word and be transformed by it as we seek to follow your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song, Days of Elijah.